You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. And before we begin, I want to remind you that there is a website associated with this particular podcast. It's wealthformula.com. Wealthformula.com is where you can sign up for a number of our resources, including the Investor Club. If you are an accredited investor, if you meet the criteria as one and you want to you know, start actually potentially participating in some of the things that we talk about on this show, make sure to sign up and, and go through our onboarding process there. We'd love to have you. Now, in addition to that, uh, and, and relevant to this show, there is something called Wealth Formula Network, which I think a number of you probably would love to be part of but don't know about. Wealth Formula Network is our private online community, okay? And it is a bi-weekly Zoom video meeting uh, calls. And also, in addition to that, we have a Facebook group to keep in touch in between. Wealth Formula Network actually grew off of the course that we had a couple years back called Your Roadmap to Real Wealth. And that course is good. It's a lot of foundations uh, in it. It's got a lot of, uh, you know, smart people like Kenny McElroy, Tom Wilwright, and all that. And that, that initially was the idea. Is the course was going to be the focus, and then then you had the community. But as it turns out, the course ends up being just sort of a foundation, and then the community is really, really taken off uh, to the point where. You know, the level of conversations is, is really, really high level. It's taking this stuff to the next level. So if you're interested in that, look at wealthformularoadmap.com. I bring that up in part because our guest today is a conversation uh, with Ian Kurth. Ian's been on before, but he's he's part of that group. And um, the idea for this particular podcast basically came from, you know, one of our 90-minute Zoom video conversations that we had that everybody seemed to be uh, really into. Anyway, so I'm going to have that conversation with Ian Kurth right after these messages. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest and Wealth Formula podcast is sort of an in-house player. His name is Ian Kurth. He's been on the show before. He's a radiologist located in the state of Wisconsin. Ian is a part of our in- insider group, Wealth Formula Network. And uh, if you don't know what that is, it's basically our uh, private online uh, community. You can go to wealthformularoadmap.com and figure it out. But the whole thing started with me creating this course, and the course is fine and great. But what ended up happening was, you know, we had this ongoing community afterwards, which includes biweekly Zoom video calls uh, and also this Facebook group. And that's really been, I think, a very surprisingly, I should say, I mean, I'll be honest, completely surprisingly, a very a potent uh, place for people who are interested in this stuff to continue to to sort of take it to the next level. And Ian's, Ian's sort of the, uh, you know, one of the all-stars of that group, uh, one of the senior members of that group, should we say. So, um, Ian, uh, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Buck. Thanks for the invite. I'm glad to be back. Well, I'll put you on the spot here right now. I've, I've talked about Wealth Formula Network, but what how how's uh how's your view on this i mean obviously it's a little bit of a plug for it but i mean who's the right person for this what are you getting out of it um you know that kind of thing yeah no i think i think it's important to look for 
mentorship groups, peer groups, where you can um, exchange ideas to make sure that you're staying within your own guardrails, you know, be curious enough to uh, listen to other people's viewpoints, uh, figure out where your blind spots might be in terms of your own portfolio and your own um, education base. And I think, um, you know, this group, since I've been a part of it, has grown to um, serve that those needs. And, um, I think it's, um, it's been very impactful in my own education. It's been very impactful in, in the way that I approach things. And, you know, I applaud you for, for starting it, for having the initiative to pursue it and to uh, foster it and provide a platform for people to, to participate. And, um, no, that's, that's good. I mean, you know, I think what I'm always impressed at is sort of like, you know, we have people who I think have made substantial, you know, like it came in knowing, almost nothing, uh, which is fine. That's what you want. And then, but it ends up almost being like a residency, right? Like where everybody's yeah. talking about things and the terminology just kind of keeps coming back and forth. And, mm-hmm. uh, before you know it, you're speaking the language. Well, good. I don't want to, you know, uh, belabor that point, but I just thought it'd be interesting to get your take on it. One of the conversations, and now I would say multiple conversations in that group, uh, have really, really, uh, you know, focused. I mean, literally, like we're we'd go for like an hour and a half at a time, and I end up having to leave. And then everybody, I don't know how long you guys go, but but these conversations, particularly lately, that people have really, I think, gotten into are questions about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, which is, you know, which is I would say it has always been the peripheral part of what we do. Uh, we've always kind of seen it as a, you know, asymmetric risk type uh, thing that you participate in. And in one of our last calls, I think you had made a pretty substantial pivot that was pretty thought-provoking. I think for a lot of people, as a fairly, you know, as a fairly conservative uh, investor, a guy who's not out there like, you know, trying to figure out where to throw your money next as shiny objects, but you made a pretty interesting, uh, I guess, a challenge, which was, you know, why not put 30 to 40% of your net worth into Bitcoin right now? Am I, I think that's what you said. It was, it was, it was a thought experiment, uh, uh, sort of designed specifically for you. And, uh, (laughs) and, uh, and I think it's relevant. I mean, um, you know, as you said, we, we put a lot of time in conversation, many conversations about this. And I think it's relevant, um, you know, in our society these days, because it's, it's all over the news and, um, you know, sometimes it takes, a certain number of touch points when you, when you hear about a, a certain topic to, uh, to internalize it to the point where you're willing and curious enough to, um, you know, dig a little bit deeper. And that's kind of where that conversation went. Um, from my own perspective, I certainly, you know, don't want to, um, come across as, as a crypto expert by any means. Um, if, if I could advocate for anything here today is, is to, um, encourage people to be curious and to dig a little bit deeper and to educate yourself enough to make a rational decision one way or another. And there's no judgment either way. Um, but, but to, to, um, to flippantly uh, disregard it, I think it isn't serving your, serving your own needs. And, and my experience over this has been, um, you know, frankly, um, encouraged by some of your early conversations back in 2017. And it was uh, sort of a, a trend or a movement that, I felt at that point deserved at least some attention. Um, uh, you know, in 2017, 18, 19, as you know, uh, the, the on-ramps to these type of investments were very challenging. 
it was to the point where it was obnoxious in my opinion. And, and I refused to participate in many of those yeah. um, until I found a way to access it, uh, which was a, was sort of a private equity access point that solved some of those problems. So I had skin in the, I've had skin in the game for a long time and uh, long enough to actually experience a lot of the volatility that is inherent within this currently. And, um, and then, you know, um, realized based on certain macro trends, based on certain. Well, let's back up. Let's back up for a second here because tell me one, one conversation we had in our wealth formula network call yesterday, I think we were talking about, you know, back in 2014 or 15, whatever, somebody looked at the date and said, look, Bitcoin on this day, this many, it was like 500 bucks or something like that. I mean, or 200 bucks, who knows? It was something in the hundred bucks thing. And uh, basically you said, you know, I wouldn't have bought then. So something happened, even even say three, maybe four years ago in 2016, you wouldn't have cared what the price was. What did you see then that was different from necessarily what you're seeing now? I think the resilience of Bitcoin over the, over the whatever, 10 or 11 years that it's been around is compelling to me. Um, and so if you take that example and, and track back to when Bitcoin was a hundred dollars, um, I, I know myself, I wouldn't have been curious enough to figure that out. I wouldn't have been compelled enough to uh, put any sort of capital deployment that would move the needle in any way towards that at that point. And I'm not in the space. I'm not a techno geek. I'm not a, you know, an economist. I'm not a financial analyst. And I, I probably wouldn't have done it. But to your point, over the course of time, um, Bitcoin's resilience uh, over these number of cycles has motivated me to dig in a little bit deeper about so, the value. So talk about that offers. resilience, because some people are looking at that 60,000 something to, you know, 30 something thousand that we're seeing right now mm-hmm. and saying, but what are you talking about resilience? That was a 50% drop in a week. So, you know, I know what you're talking about, but explain what you mean by that. Bitcoin, this is, you know, most people would say this is kind of the fifth cycle. And, um, you know, from peak to valley of each cycle, uh, it's been commonly down 90%, 80%. And within those cycles, there's been extreme volatility. And I say, you know, violent volatility. But if you if you zoom out, the overall trend for this whole um, sort of movement is positive and sustainably positive, uh, in my opinion. Um, you know, it, it, it's basically doubled every year for a decade uh, in price. And there's a number of reasons for that, but it, it's a very unique um, asset. It can't be manipulated. It's algorithmic. It's software. It's, there's all kinds of sort of, um, um, you know, descriptors that, you can spew out and um, most people will parrot those back to you. But, but what I would say is that you need to sort of dig into each of those descriptors and understand uh, why they are important to, to the asset and um, what makes it different and why you think that um, it has longevity moving forward. Um, and, and that's what I've done. So we've right talked down. about, um, so specifically, obviously you have the price movement that is compelling mm-hmm. over time. Philosophically, though, something's changed for you. Some of you've understood something that you didn't understand before. And I'm specifically talking about Bitcoin because, again, we'll get into this in a bit, but there's Bitcoin and then there's everything else, right? So philosophically, there is something that clicked for you as a non-tech guy, as a radiologist who's, you know, going to work every day, uh, doing your thing. 
And this is really valuable. I think, I mean, whether people are not kind of buy this, but tell us what the aha moment is. I mean, I know there's a lot to it in your book, but try to summarize it. Like what went from, damn, I'm not, you know, this is an asymmetric risk place. This is something where I'm going to put material amounts of my net worth into, because it's not just because of price movement. There's an underlying thesis that you have believed in, which a lot of people do believe in, uh, including myself. I just, you know, that's another issue yeah. altogether, but but <laughs> but talk about that pivot because this is really important. And perhaps I know you've sent out a number of resources. You know, maybe as part of our introductory uh, email, with, with your permission, I maybe just send out some of those resources. Sure. I mean, I, I think for me, um, part of it came to when I realized that the way that it's set up the likelihood of it going to zero is very low in my opinion. Okay. And so you you chop off the tail risk and the upside of it uh, in terms of its potential for adoption is, is massive. So explain why that you think right now going to, because I agree with you, but why, why, why do you think Bitcoin going to zero is the chance of that is virtually zero? I think it because of its decentralized nature, because it is a protocol that is immutable, because it is international, um, and because of the number of people and entities that have already adopted it, and because of the overall market share that it has obtained so far, I think it has such a network effect advantage uh, over any other potential competitor that it is, it's kind of like, you know, other examples of decentralized software where you can, you just can't kill it. Um, and so that to me is very, very compelling. Um, and I think it's very unique in the way that it originated to that. Right. Um, so you have, a, you have a designer who disappeared um, and there's, there's, there's no centralized nature to that, to, to its control right now. Um, and so, um, I, so I would just add to that too, in that there's a couple things I think that are important. One is that, um, you know, like you talked about it, the size of it is at sort of a critical point right now at a $1 trillion market cap and with mass amounts of adoption uh, through Mm -hmm. institutional players. And and you've got literally, I think it was Penn Mutual or something like that, by like $200 million of Bitcoin. You know, something like that. I probably am off by a company or a 50 million. Yeah. Mass mutual, but mass mutual, but, but, but to your point, um, you know, it, the compelling case for me is that right now it's basically a $1 trillion asset Right. in in simple terms. If you just compare Bitcoin as a digital uh, asset reserve versus gold, which is an analog asset reserve and compare the market shares of the two, it's still 10 to one. And so just on that trajectory, you still have minimum, in my opinion, 10x potential. Agreed. Uh, but then the other thing about the zero part is really important to understand. It, it was really important to process because if you have ruled out zero, mm-hmm. there's only one way for this to go. <laughs> right, right, right. And that's million dollar Bitcoin someday. I mean, that, yeah. that, there's only one way to go. So go yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, I, 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 so, you know, if you, if you just kind of go across the, 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 the categories of, of what the world sort of agrees upon are descriptors of the value proposition for a reserve asset, gold and Bitcoin, and you compare the two, you know, are, is it scarce? Is it storable? Is it decentralized? Is it durable? Is it fungible, verifiable? You know, those kind of attributes. 
And um, Bitcoin outperforms gold in so many of those. And if you take that within the context of, you know, basically, you know, most things are, are becoming digitized in some way. Um, the rate of change is never in the future will never be as slow as it is right now. Things are just rapidly evolving. And you just sort of, you know, zoom out on that potential 10x, um, at least equaling the market share of gold is, is very, very attainable. Now, beyond that, you know, there's estimated $400 trillion um, of, 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 um, of uh, assets worldwide. And many of those are just seeking a reserve. They're just trying to, you're just trying to store your value. Um, and so not that Bitcoin is going to take over $400 trillion, sure. but, but there's upside potential beyond just that, that 10 X uh, that's compelling. So as you said, if you, if you chop off the tail and you say that it's, you're convicted that it's not going to go to zero um, and you feel like the trajectory and the momentum is carrying it towards that um, replacement of gold as a reserve asset. That's, that's the broad thesis. Now there's a lot of nuance beyond that, but so, People will say, well, gosh, you know, how can you have a reserve with volatility like this? I think, you, I think volatility is part of the transition from nothing to a worldwide reserve. You have to go, you have to have volatility to make that transition. And, you know, um, cognitively, if you can accept that, and if you know that uh, before you deploy, then it's much easier to tolerate. But if you um, don't educate yourself and don't understand what you're doing and why you're doing it, and you're just parroting and FOMOing behind everybody else, then you will be watching that and you'll be getting sick to your stomach and you'll be selling emotionally and you won't stick to um, what the value proposition is, which is a long-term play. And, you know, people ask me, uh, you know, how, how can you handle this volatility? it's easy. You don't look at it and you, you basically deploy and at the very minimum, you know, it, it's a four year cycle. Like you, you just need to stick it out, you know, make it similar to a real estate play yeah. and say, I'm going to, I'm, I'm in for a minimum of four years. But I think over the course of that four years, your conviction that this has more potential will become stronger and stronger. And yeah. that four year timeline will extend. Yeah. I, I tend to agree with that. You know, one of the things I think that's going on, this is apropos that we're, we're actually having this conversation in the middle of a meltdown. And I don't know, yeah. I don't know if this is the end of the bull or not. It, it may or may not be. But when you switch your, your paradigm to this is not just playing uh, for a few bucks now, you actually look at these, these massive pullbacks as a real opportunity, yeah. you know, and not worry about what your, the Bitcoin that you have is worth today but the fact that you can accumulate it. I mean, mm -hmm. one of the other things I'll point out is I think that we're also um, going to see in the next, you know, with continued volatility, you're also going to see a huge wealth transfer too, because one of the great things I think about Bitcoin wealth right now is, you know, so much of it disproportionately compared to other commodities is in the hands of the retail investor. But uh, you know, the smart money is not going to be scared off by the volatility short term. They've done their research on this. And I think the in situations like this where you have these big, you know, reductions of 50% at a time, uh, you know, the smart money is going in and sweeping in what the retail investors are too scared about now. Yeah. Um, and that's that's uh, that's something to think about. Uh, so you don't go and sell and you can, might consider buying. Although uh, I have a 
I'm actually holding off because I, I think we're, you know, I think we're in capitulation right now. Uh, and I think there's some some downside to be had now. But yes. the one other thing I'll add is the volatility is a product also of the fact that it is only a one trillion dollar market cap. Now, yeah. if this goes to one trillion dollars, if this goes to 10 trillion like gold or 20 trillion or whatever, that volatility essentially goes away. But in many ways, at that point, the opportunity goes away, too. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, to your point, um, I, I think this is a this is a unique asset class, and frankly, it's one of the few in 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 probably modern history where the average Joe basically has a shot at at accessing it before uh, the big money. And so, you know, as you look at the various cycles and the and the adoption that has occurred so far, it's been sort of early techies, and then there's been you know some uh, maybe you know group of whatever uh, freedom libertarian guys, and then and then you kind of get the early adopter retail investors, then you get the hedge funds coming in, and now you're getting entities and companies taking it on their balance sheet, and then you're getting insurance companies, and 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 pretty soon you may even get um, sovereign nations as it as it sort of goes across, but it only takes one or two in each of those categories to stimulate others in those categories to like pay attention. And, you know, then they have either, either FOMO or uh, competitive motivations to uh, learn about it and potentially put it on their balance sheet. So all of that is, in my opinion, is part of the adoption process. And, and it's the price of being early with the potential, as you mentioned, uh, of exponential returns over time. So one of the other things that we talked about yesterday I think is a is something to think about on a practical level for people who uh, in our space figuring out how to allocate because I told you your question was a good one why are you not ultimately in, you know buying more bitcoin because I'm not buying a lot of bitcoin especially now I'm not buying a lot of bitcoin at at this price but I I'm looking at you know I have, I have some alt purchases that I've made recently but one of the major reasons for me has been the tax issue which is I am massively incentivized to invest in real estate. Literally every time I invest that, almost that full amount of money ends up being a deduction off my federal return because of my real estate professional status and because of bonus depreciation. So now granted, not, not everybody has that level of impact from investing in real estate, but generally that is one of the benefits and a lot of people are looking for. So... How have you navigated that situation? Uh, and, uh, you know, just as not as advice, but as a potential template for other investors. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, the, the, there, there are no um, direct tax benefits towards investing in that in this. And in fact, there it's, it, you know, pretty substantial tax consequences, you know, for every, every um, exchange for between coins and for every sale um, it creates a a reportable and taxable event. But there's a, there's a couple of ways around that. And one of those um, basically goes to one of my principles, which is to have as much optionality as I can for my portfolio. And, um, and some of that is that I have optionality within qualified accounts. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to mitigate the tax consequences, um, those accounts or or those sort of vehicles are very basically optimized in this situation. Um, Assuming that you um, acknowledge that you're, you know, marrying the government and the government can, um, you know, (laughs) screw you over at any time. And they love Bitcoin, by the way. Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, So that's one way. But then there's another thesis um, that I was trying to poke you a little bit about, which is, 
you know, even with the tax benefits of real estate and even with the sort of outpaced returns that you can get relative to, you know, say a 60, 40 uh, split stocks, bonds, whatever, whatever your metric is, you may come out better by, uh, you know, sort of increasing your allocation towards this if you're convicted, if you believe in it um, and, and uh, capturing the exponential upside uh, not necessarily selling it at any point, but being able to borrow against it, similar mm-hmm. to some other vehicles you, you can use. And so you never you never sell it. Um, you could borrow against it if you wanted to, which is will presumably be um, tax advantaged uh, in the future. Um, and then you could potentially, you know, continue to hold that and sort of um, ballast out the remainder of your portfolio and spend down some of your fiat. Um, that's just another strategy that I've been sort of, um, you know, knocking around as well. Um, I'll say that if I had qualified funds, which I don't have any qualified funds right now, but they would all be going, they'd all be in cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, there's, this is in many ways to me, even in my opinion, a perfect use. Uh, people been complaining about, oh, what do I do with these qualified funds? And I can't yeah. get all the tax. Wait, guess what? You here you go. This is a yeah. perfect thing. It is, you know, to, to jam and it's it been, on. you know, and, and to, to that point, it's been a challenge to be able to deploy into it. Right. So these institutions um, because of their charters and the regulations and their entity documents and so forth, haven't had access. So they haven't been able to offer to their clients as so their clients have been clamoring for crypto access and haven't been able to get it. But those, um, those barriers are starting to melt. Um, there's a few that you can do right now. There's inevitably going to be more, and with that, if you think about that, if people, you know, sort of wake up and say, hey, I have this tax advantaged uh, vehicle and I'm, I'm convicted in this arena, uh, I'm going to put some money there. So what is that going to do to the network effect of, of Bitcoin? I don't know. It seems to seems to support it. So obviously you're kind of uh, you've 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 you know, you've sort of drank the Kool-Aid and the in the Bitcoin space, I'm saying that is a joke, but I mean it. You know, I feel I'm I'm completely on board with your your sentiments on this. I've just uh, haven't been able to figure out how to navigate putting more in, given my you know uh, lack of interest in in paying the government. <laughs> um, so let's shift a little bit because we've really been talking about Bitcoin per se. How do you look at everything else or do you? I mean, are you even interested in everything else outside of Bitcoin? Are you a, a Bitcoin maximalist? I'm not a, I'm not a maximalist. I, I have admittedly dedicated the majority of my time and attention towards really understanding Bitcoin. And I'm glad that I have because I am convicted in that area. And for all of the sort of descriptors that we've discussed, I think that it is, it, it's a great asset. Now, um, Bitcoin gets mixed in with all of the other coins and cryptocurrencies. And I think while they do have some similar properties, they're, in my opinion, not even close to being the same. And most of these other projects are not necessarily decentralized. They are, actually are centralized. And the way that I view them is that they are almost an egalitarian way to angel invest. <laughs> Without needing accredited investor status, you can take positions in projects that could potentially change the world, really. If you see some parallels between this, um, you know, sort of digital movement and the, you know, for instance, the evolution of the internet and how that uh, evolved. Um, you know, a lot of these projects may be flyers that um, really do change the world and you can access them at very 
um, responsible prices right now, but they're not all the same. And you really owe it to yourself to, to dig into those projects and, and, and uh, understand them before you invest. And so from my perspective, I have not done that work yet. And I, you know, I've, I've thrown a few hundred bucks here and there just yeah. to, you know, say I did, but, but I'm nowhere near as convicted, nor do I have even remotely similar amount of capital in any of those. My, the analogy I kind of use is, you know, I think there's Bitcoin and then there's everything else. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't make everything else less valuable. It makes it completely different. Mm-hmm. I think we used to put Bitcoin in the category um, along with other asymmetric risk type vehicles. I think mm-hmm. what you and I are both saying is that we believe that that is no longer as much of an asymmetric risk play as something that I think if you believe and if it continues along its trajectory, it becomes a a very attractive high percentage bet over the next, you know, several years. So I I take Bitcoin out of that. uh, And then there's everything else. And then everything else ultimately, okay, runs in just a few different categories. One is it's some kind of a additional currency play like Litecoin or some of the, you know, the, 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 you know, the secret coins, the ones that, you know, hard to figure out who has. I really don't think those really have legs over the long, long period. I mean, who, who are you going to, you know, I mean, basically there's just creating, unless you're truly a money launderer, you're trying to do something illegal. I mean, what's, what's the point, right? So, you know, so I, I really don't think that those have a lot of legs. I'm not investing a lot of those. Um, there is the complete BS stuff and there is a lot of that. There's a lot of it. And, you know, there's like, for example, Dogecoin, which stopped any sort of development over three years ago. Now, why is Elon Musk pumping it? Because he thinks this is a big freaking joke. That's why. Because he's the puppet master and he's just watching all these idiots move on everything he says. And he's like, yeah, Doge is awesome, you know. And he just, he amuses himself by seeing people, uh, you know, go crazy in that. So there is a lot of this BS stuff that has nothing behind it. Then the third category and the one I'm actually very interested in is technology that could fundamentally change the world that essentially I'm betting on in no different terms than early phase tech startup companies that I believe in. Uh, and obviously I've made no, uh, I've made no mystery of my interest in, in Hedera. Uh, uh, HBAR is, is the native coin there. And they, you know, and I look at what they've done and they're already, it's massive utility. They're, you know, the protocol is being used to track the international space station. They just released a paper, uh, on the Fed coin uh, concept, I mean there there's a tremendous amount of stuff that's utility. It's a startup, and it's real. It's a real team. It's doing things. It has plans, that kind of thing. There's not that many of those, but I think if you find those types of projects, then you're really working almost like as a little mini venture capital person that also has the ability to keep liquidity and you're not holding something for 10 years. So I think that those are the asymmetric risk plays that I, I'm really, I personally find very, very interesting, but I, but I don't see them in any way, shape or form. as the same uh, as Bitcoin. Agreed. 
Yeah, I agreed. I mean, I think they're curious and I think, I think it, it, it's a good um, exercise to know about them to a certain extent and to, to find something that might uh, interest you, but, but they are in a completely separate category. And I think your analogy to early tech startup is, is appropriate um, with the advantage of you can have some liquidity associated right. with it. And, uh, you know, most, most cases with early tech startups, you're locking in your money for, you know, a long time. Um, and you may or may not ever see it again. Um, so, um, to, to that effect, it might be a little bit better, but extremely risky. If you look at the sort of historical, at least over the last decade, the altcoins and which ones have made it through one cycle, if not two cycles, it's, it's exceedingly rare that they do now. Uh, presumably that's all going to change as, as you mentioned, there is utility and adoption in that utility and they gain traction in that utility. Then presumably that those trends will break and you will have some of those that continue to, um, to grow and to provide value. But it's, um, you know, it's a needle in the needle stack. Yeah, I think that's right. But I think, I think, you know, if you, even if you go back to 2017, virtually no projects were doing anything. Um, no, it's all white papers. Yeah. It's, it's all, we're going to do this. We yeah. think we should do this, you know, and now there's actually. Yeah. So I do think there will be a little bit of a focus and change in going from ideas to, you know, focusing and investing in utility and what people are actually doing. It's, it sort of becomes a, more of a real market. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's interesting because what I'll be curious to see it happens in those situations is, you know, right now prices live and die with Bitcoin, right? Mm-hmm. You go on a Bitcoin bull run, the alts follow. And the Bitcoin uh, crashes while well, the alts are crashing. And the question is, at some point, it would seem to me that if you're starting to look at these projects as utility, they should become independent of uh, Bitcoin to a certain degree. Yeah. I don't have any argument against the thesis that they will gain traction. The thing that I've been trying to contemplate, and this applies to Bitcoin to a certain extent, is that I, I feel like we're right in that suspicion, yeah. but we may be right at the wrong time. Right. You know, you know, it, 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 maybe it, it may take years. a lot longer. <laughs> yeah. It may take a lot longer yeah. than we actually think or hope. Right. Right. Um, and I, I can't, I haven't reconciled that yet. So let's see, uh, just looking, since we, this is this has turned into an Ask Ian show instead of Ask Buck, I have one uh, question here on stablecoins. I'll just read it out from Aaron Finley. He says, hi, Buck, long-time listener. Greatly appreciate your perspectives. Here is a question I have. Stablecoins appear to be a great place to put idle cash with returns ranging as high as 12% or even more in a lot of cases. Trading in stable coins is usually free of fees and commissions, and these are usually easily liquidate, liquidated. As this is a pretty new space with developing oversight and transparency, how does one go about assessing the risk of these investments? Clearly, diversification is a great way to minimize risk by leveraging a variety of coins and platforms. Are there other risk mitigation practices that one could use? Yeah, I mean... You know, I, I I have to tell you, most of these platforms I'm very, very wary of. I, I The ones especially, frank and ironically, that are decentralized. Because I think that in not having um, centralization and some regulation, I think you are, um, in my opinion, I think you run a lot, a lot greater risk than you do with, uh, you know, 
frankly, what I've been using for, for interest bearing on my Bitcoin and Ethereum has been BlockFi. Uh, BlockFi is a, you know, it's a American company with American regulations behind it, American investment. Uh, we, we've had the founder on multiple times early on when they were a small company. And, uh, and I, I, I use them, but I'm, you know, you have to wonder too, like, how are you getting 12% or how are you getting 15% or 20%? And if you start asking these questions in the decentralized space, I think it might be a pretty risky thing to do. Ian, what do you think? Yeah, that's an area that I haven't done enough uh, investigation on um, in terms of, you know, the lending environment. I do know that um, the opportunity to quote unquote, stake your coins provides additional liquidity for people who are trading with leverage. And, you know, for better, or for worse, some of that trading um, is what uh, triggers a lot of the near term volatility. But the in terms of the risk associated with it, the, you know, the term not your keys, not your coin. Um, th- that's something that, you know, Maximus will say, like, there's there's third party risks of the platform, there's the counterparty risks, there is, um, you know, sort of downward pressure, on the interest rate risks, um, you know, there's tax consequences that uh, need to be considered. Um, but all in all, it's not a bad thing to necessarily do with with a portion of your Bitcoin portfolio or or altcoin portfolio to stake and and get some yield on it. I can't say the con conceptually it's it's bad. I just um, I'm a little hesitant to you know sort of endorse many of these um, platforms currently. I have another question related to cryptocurrency from Mark, who says, basically, says, what do you think the net effect of negative government impact? But basically, what it comes down to is saying is, what do you think that the negative uh, view from the U.S. government and Janet Yellen on Bitcoin will do to it? Do you think it will destroy it? Well, um, I think both Ian and I would agree that governments, and this is one of the one of the advantages of Bitcoin, is that governments can't destroy Bitcoin. They just can't. One of the reasons that Janet Yellen really hates Bitcoin is the same reason that really governments generally, for a long time, really were trying to dissociate from gold altogether too, right? It's not something that you could control. And if it becomes part of, you know, the, uh, the monetary system, it's part of it that you can't necessarily control. It can't tax. Uh, it, it creates all sorts of problems. And, you know, one of the other things with Bitcoin that make the parallel here is, by the way, is, is gold in the 20, early 20th century. And, um, and then uh, what happened, obviously, you know, uh, in the Roosevelt administration, ultimately gold, it, may, it became illegal to own gold and, and they collected all that gold uh, set a price and uh, created Fort Knox. Uh, so that's what that's what government does when it, it it feels like it's not in control of the economy and there's commodities that are are uh, you know creating roadblocks for it. So I'm not um, convinced that, although I'm convinced that she can't confiscate it because you can't confiscate it. You can you could potentially penalize people for uh, in various ways through taxation. Those things are also tough legislative uh, issues to get through as well. Um, so I do think that in the next decade or so, as there's this transition, 
as Bitcoin goes from a $1 trillion market cap to 10, well, it still seems like the, you know, that the serpent can still be quashed, uh, that there probably will be some punitive tax legislation, at least that there's attempts to go through. I think over time, it becomes less of an issue uh, as it gets absorbed into the system. Because I think the ironic part about Bitcoin is that what is going to help it survive is the very thing that it was created to get away from, which is uh, government and Wall Street. So I think as it gets absorbed into Wall Street, gets absorbed into pensions, into these you know you know mega funds, uh, it will become something that has its own political um, strength, and at that point, uh, it, you know it has protections from the very thing that it was created. Uh, to avoid. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it was created to um, to get away from a centralized medium of exchange, which is what you know sovereign national currencies are. Um, so it's decentralized in that way, and it's not confiscatable, as you mentioned. Um, and uh, it would be because of its network effect, because of its multinational adoption. You can't kill it, but you can regulate it. And you can tax it. And so um, if, if you project that out, like there, there could be a very, very challenging time. And what, how long that lasts, who knows? But it could be very uncomfortable to, to hold Bitcoin. I mean, that's one of the risks. It could be, you know, uh, you know, disadvantageous. And they could make it so uncomfortable that you don't want to hold it, uh, particularly in the U.S., I don't think it'll kill it, but what it may induce is sort of multinational uh, competition. And at some point, if you have a net worth that that um, that justifies it, you may vote with your feet, and you may just go somewhere where um, it, it's more embraced. You know, I you mean, mean you're going to leave Wisconsin? Ian? No, I'm, I'm not in that category. But but think of the think of the people that were early adopters who hold thousands and thousands. Uh, they of all live in Puerto Rico. You're right. Already, already. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and and those those whale moves, those are in tax advantaged uh, environments. I mean, nobody would 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 uh, you know kind of give away unnecessarily half of that just for a for a sale. So um, they're smart, and, but they're they're few. And once um, more and more people have a stake in it, more and more people have um, you know holdings in it, then you know that creates uh, political pressures and legislative uh, change and so forth. So. You really are playing the long game with Bitcoin, and I think that's the only way to look at it. Yep, you really absolutely. do. I think if you're if you're looking at it as a trader or somebody who's going to get in and and try to make money and get out, don't do it. It's just going to be. I mean, you know, if you can get yourself in a mindset with cryptocurrency in general, I feel like um, you know I'm I'm really limiting my investments to projects I truly believe in. Um, every time they fall, I'm actually, well, I'm broke right now because of buying a house, but um, I look at them as uh, opportunities to add on to things that I have a lot of conviction in at a price that I would maybe not thought would have come, come back anytime soon. And so I think if you can get into that mindset, and again, we in the real estate world, we're used to holding things for five years and we don't look at what the value is on a year and, you know, year to year basis. We're just, we know that at some point we have an exit years down the road. If you do that kind of thing and have some firm beliefs in, in the companies that you're investing in or this entire Bitcoin 
concept, then I think you're going to do yourself a great service because I think if you're looking at these, um, I listen, this whole space, this digital currency space and, and distributed ledger technology is not going away. Just not. It is, it is the future, right? So it, think, don't it's think very, of it as a flash in the pan. Yeah, absolutely. Long game, right? So very simply, buy, uh, perhaps even dollar cost average in, hold, buy on the dips. Yep. Don't, don't use leverage yep. and, and repeat. Right, 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 <laughs> right. Great. Well, Ian, uh, we are obviously, one last question for you. So right now, uh, what are we at now? Bitcoin, uh, is it under 40? Yeah, it's been bouncing. And I'll tell 30s. you what, it's crazy to look at it and say, well, hey, Bitcoin's under 40. It's, it's cheap. You know? but it's, it's a land grab. I mean, it's a scarce digital asset. They're not making any more. Yep. And so, um, you know, people right now, we're looking back at, uh, you know, a year ago when it was 10 and wishing that they were in a 10. And back then, 10 was like, who would pay 10000 for, you know, a Bitcoin? And then before that, it was who would pay $100 for a Bitcoin? Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Pretty soon it's going to be, you know, uh, a man, I wish I bought in at 150K. You right. Know? <laughs> right. Um, so it's, it's a land grab and a scarce, in a, in a scarce digital asset. Yep. So right now you say your your personal mentality is 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 to double down right now as Bitcoin is at thirty nine thousand. So I've removed my head from this. I just dollar cost average. Yeah. You know, and and so like if you want to take that another level, you know, you you could say that the all time high was whatever sixty five, and now it's down almost fifty percent from that. So maybe you put a little bit in on that, but. But you don't even need to get that fancy. You just pick a, pick a number that you're comfortable. And you, there are opportunities that are on ramps now where you can dollar cost average daily if you want to. And remember that these digital assets are not nine to five Monday through Friday. They're 24, seven, 365. So you can daily um, or twice daily if you wanted to uh, dollar cost average, just a small amount. It's, it's, it's pretty simple. All right. Well, obviously, uh, Ian, this has been, this was actually such a incredibly popular uh, show, you know, like a discussion we had on Wealth Formula Network. We had to turn this into the show. Again, if you like these kinds of discussions, uh, consider joining uh, Wealth Formula Network. Go to wealthformularoadmap.com. You'll see this whole cheesy uh, page that was built for me, uh, this sales page for the course and all that. But really, it's the course. It's a good course. sets the foundations. Then we get into the conversations um, like this on a biweekly basis. I mean, this is fundamentally the kind of thing, this is what we talk about, these kinds of things at this level. And, uh, you know, Ian is uh, Ian is there um, most of the time. Sometimes I can see him in the – I'm just kidding. I'm just going to background with – I just can't. <laughs> I won't even say it. <laughs> anyway, that's uh, that's it for me this week, Ian. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks for uh, um, coming on the show, and uh, we'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Hopefully, you enjoyed it, and you know, thanks to Ian for coming on. I just want to remind you again: if these types of conversations are of uh, interest to you, certainly consider joining a Wealth Formula Network. Go to wealthformularoadmap.com. Ignore the uh, cheesy sales page about the course. It's really, you sign up for the course. The course is great. And then there's these biweekly Zoom video calls and Facebook page, which I think, as you can tell, this is the the level of conversation that goes on there all the time. It is really good. 
it's for the person who wants to talk about this stuff, but your, you know, your spouse, your family, your neighbors don't want to talk to to you about it. But it's a great place to learn and grow, and love to have you uh, join us. So check it out, wealthformularoadmap.com. That's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.